0: to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, theirs. And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she, her.
1: And I'm Pastor Harold, and my pronouns are he, him.
2: In this episode, we'll discuss
0: Ascension Day, which this year falls on May 26th. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. So last year for
2: Ascension Day, we had a science teacher join us to talk about what would happen if an unprotected human rose into the air. And that got a little morbid. So on a lighter note, this year we decided to talk about flight, aerodynamics, and aircraft instead. And for this, we have our special guest, Harold Vanacek, uh, who has worked in the field of aerospace engineering and on the space shuttle program with NASA. His first love language in talking about God is with the language of science. Harold is currently an ELCA Lutheran pastor in Marble Falls, Texas. So... Harold, uh, to start you off with what we might call a softball question, I realize that when you told us about this in seminary, you had the advantage of being able to make hand gestures and to draw pictures for us. And with the podcast, none of that is really an option. But can you explain to us how is it that an airplane gets off the ground in the first place?
1: First of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's kind of fun to get to talk about this thing I really enjoy and got me into college in the first place, talking about flight and space. My my original love was going into space. I always wanted to be an astronaut, and I still kind of want to be a pastronaut, but I'm getting older. <laughs> I, I want to be a astronaut on Mars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Go to Mars. That's right. But so aerodynamics um, and flight, you, I, you know, the easiest way to think about it is with a sheet of paper. Um, if you just have a sheet of paper and you hold the edge of it up to your up to your lips and you blow over the top of it, you'll notice that the paper rises. and and that's the whole principle of flight right there that um, as air moves faster over a surface, it it lowers the pressure. Uh, and so you create lift. So so when a plane is flying, there's not something underneath the wing pushing it up. It's actually the pressure above the wing that's lowering and pulling it up into the air as the plane moves faster along the runway yeah and and so you know, this comes back to oh the principle is probably a few hundred years old uh daniel bernoulli is the one that we were always kind of going over again and again in my aerospace courses uh, he was a scientist from the early 1700s and he created a principle called bernoulli's principle which it says as the speed of a fluid increases the simultaneously the pressure decreases in that fluid and and Bernoulli was more interested in water flowing he was like a plumber he liked to study water but over the years we we started digging into air and and you know, you get the Wright brothers and so they started applying these same principles to air and, the, and they worked so that's that's kind of the the root of kind of flight in the basic sense hmm.
0: which is interesting because when i think about pressure air pressure especially I was just trying to empty out a honey bottle that had gotten kind of crystallized, and so I poured a little bit of hot water in it and then was shaking it up. And then the pressure is really Mm -hmm. high, but that's because all of the, like, decreasing pressure, so the expansion is within a sealed, presumably sealed, bottle, and the outside is not, right? Yeah, well,
1: if you put hot water in there, you probably, I mean, the the atoms are moving much faster with, with hot things, and there's probably a little... If it's hot enough, it probably creates some level of um, some atmospherics or like air or uh, hot gas. So, so it would kind of expand it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. So then, how does it compare between like a plane taking off, the, getting off the ground, because that's about like speed and moving fast and going up, and a helicopter, which basically just like goes directly up.
1: Yeah, that's a that's actually a really fascinating question. Well, so we'll back up one second and talk about the wing of a plane the wing of a plane is just this lovely kind of curved teardrop shape I mean we, we, we've drawn from we've drawn from nature in so many ways like birds' wings if you start looking at them I mean that's where we pull these shapes from is from nature and it's shaped in such a way that the air flows faster over the top It's got more distance to travel than it does underneath the bottom which creates that lower pressure. So you can everybody can kind of picture a, a plane with two big wings and kind of has this teardrop shape that kind of is extruded out in both directions. And that's where your, your wings are and what creates the lift. A helicopter is uses the same principle. Each of the blades on a helicopter is basically an extruded bent teardrop all the way out. So you're basically instead of flying by shooting a lot of hot air out of your engines and going real fast down the runway, so you're spinning your wings and you're creating flight that way. Yeah, that would be the that would be the same thing there. They both use that same foil shape, but they utilize it differently.
0: Okay, so the plane goes forward with it, and then the helicopter, because it just spins around, it's actually, Mm -hmm. like, the thing that is doing the lifting is actually moving Yeah, just the body of the aircraft.
1: Yeah, the energy is being put into spinning the wings in a helicopter, but the energy is being put into pushing the plane, um, so it's a little different, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So then, taking it up a level, how does the space shuttle... Mm-hmm. Compare to planes and helicopters and, like, blimps and hot air mm-hmm. balloons, right? Because it has to go up, but then it has to get all the way up to space and mm-hmm. back
1: down safely. Mm-hmm. Ideally speaking. I know, uh, yeah. How long do we have on this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the space shuttle, I loved working on the space shuttle program. You know, first of all, the, the space shuttle is is one piece of a larger system you know that had uh, solid rocket boosters and there was a big tank in the middle the big tank fueled the engines on the space shuttle itself but the main thrust to get off the ground were those two uh, solid rocket boosters and that's where uh, rockets and planes are a little different planes will will do thrust in in a horizontal direction so they can create lift off wings Rockets just pushed, um, They put their thrust in the same direction as the lift they want to go, so they go straight up into the air. Uh, with that, the space shuttle is always designed to be a glider. It was designed in mind to return back to Earth. So, so it has wings, but they're of no real use going up into space. They're just there to get us back down to the ground. So when you when the space shuttle would come into the atmosphere, it would. It would come at a pretty steep angle because of all the force it was hitting. But once it got through that really thick part of the atmosphere, and or that real thin part of the atmosphere, and it slowed down quite a bit, it started just going in circles to kind of bleed off speed until it landed at the runway. So it was just gliding back down to the runway. It's kind of in control, a controlled fall, basically. That's that's what a glider does, is a controlled fall.
2: Yeah. Or falling with style, as I think they put it in Toy Story.
1: It is falling. Apart. I crashed the shuttle so many times in the simulator that I was charge of. I, I was not very good at that. That's why I, they probably don't want me to fly it.
0: I was going to say, so probably you have not flown it in real
1: life. Yes. I'm good at crashing it.
0: You know, somebody has to crash it, right? Like, it's there's a principle right. in I think, Judaism where, like, if everybody agrees, someone is responsible for disagreeing. Mm-hmm. Just to make sure all the bases are covered. If everybody can do it well, somebody is responsible for crashing. Just to make sure they've covered.
1: You all need everybody on the team. Yep, that's right. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Whereas I think
2: Lutherans just call that being the devil's advocate, but
0: <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Yeah, and, that's and less relevant. helpful. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating though, because I think in my head I forgot that the space shuttle does just go like directly up, mm-hmm. instead of like taking off like a plane, and so. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah, I was always fascinated by the aerodynamics of, so they would always land it in California and then fly back over to Florida. But they always piggybacked it on like a 737. I mean, and I was like, there's some crazy aerodynamics going on there when you got a plane on the <laughs> yeah. glider on top of the plane. And I don't know how those pilots handled that center of gravity being so much higher up in the plane. That's oh,
2: yeah.
1: the next level flying there.
2: If you have flown one of those planes, can you technically say that you've flown the shuttle?
1: That's a good one.
2: because you have.
1: Well, you could. You say you could have flown it like a backpack. You know, you kind of something like that. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm.
2: And I, I think I once had somebody tell me that with planes and the shuttle and the rest of them, it's not that they're like arguing with gravity. They're having a conversation with gravity. (laughs) It is a really. They're not fighting gravity. Yeah, it's. I, I had a number of people try to explain that part to me. And uh, if you do wind up fighting gravity, that is a sign that you are probably about to crash. Yeah,
1: but... no, yeah no, no, uh, Katie, okay, you hit like exactly on like these, there's like four words that go into the little drawing that you would draw, of like how a plane flies. Like in the front of the plane, there's a little arrow going out that says thrust, like it's going in that direction that's where the thrust is pushing it. Um, mm-hmm. There's an arrow going behind the plane that's called drag. Um, mm-hmm. There's always something slowing things down, whether it be wind or the shape of the object flying. Down arrow is gravity. There's the gravity pulling everything down. And then the up arrow is left, you know, and that's based on the shape of the object that's flying. So you're always in that relationship, that tension between all four of those objects. And, and you want to keep them in balance to do what you want to do.
2: Sure. Hmm. But sometimes that conversation gets a little more complicated than others. Like sure. many, many yeah. years ago now, my grandpa was an engineer, and he worked on a project related to this, but we never really got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, how do planes that can fly while upside down keep getting fuel?
1: Mm, that's, a, that's an interesting <laughs> question. You know, I did not know the answer to that when, when you asked me that one originally. I had to go look that up. And I discovered yeah. that there is such a thing that is called the flop tube. I don't know if you've ever heard of the flop tube before. Mm-hmm. But uh, so the way the tank of a plane is often made for aerod- for for planes that go upside down, not not all planes are designed to do that. But planes that are, there is the tube for the fuel that goes into the tank uh, is a flexible tube. It can move and it has a weight on the end of it that's taking in the fuel. And so when the plane is flying level and normal, you know, it's weighted and it's down at the bottom of the tank where the fuel is. But then if the plane were to fly upside down, well, that's where the fuel is now. It's at the top of the tank. But the weight of the hose makes that fall to the top of the tank because that's upside down so the hose is always kind of sticking itself in the gas where it is based on gravity i thought that was really kind of a creative solution for that
0: interesting yeah. mm-hmm. okay so the tube just like moves around
1: mm-hmm.
0: within the like side of the gas can that it's yeah. at. like yeah huh. I know.
1: so the that's...
2: inside of an airplane cannot possibly be packed as tight as say the engine of a car these days
1: i know Cause... yeah well, that's a good question co- I mean, the plane is awfully it's it's a big gas tank, you know, on planes. The, mm-hmm. the wings sure. are often full of fuel. And yeah, so they take a lot of gas to fly.
0: That is fascinating. Okay, speaking of flying, mm-hmm. then what causes turbulence, right? Because mm-hmm. if in all of this, there's like some background image where I have of like Jesus in any of these, you know, plane, trains, automobiles mm-hmm. trying to like ascend, but like Jesus hits turbulence, what is it?
1: Mm, yeah, Jesus, he gets a bumpy ascension. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody who's flown has probably experienced turbulence. Anybody who's driven on a like a two lane road that's like an 80 mile an hour road and a car zooms right past you, or a semi comes past you, and you feel oh, the wind like hit you, that like that's yeah. turbulence too. You know, there's different kinds of turbulence. There's there's thermal turbulence. So maybe you've seen uh, birds like circling in the air. They're like following thermals, like this rising heat mm. in the air planes when planes run into those that creates kind of an instability in the air over the wing and you know if the wing and lift is based on the speed of the air over the wing creating a constant lower pressure if you disturb that well then you're kind of shaking you're messing around with your lift at that point so you kind of create kind of little bump in your ride there's other there's other turbulence where if you've ever watched top gun you know you don't fly Mm -hmm. in front of another plane that's bad news bears because you mess up the the airflow that's going into their engines and over their wings and uh, you can create turbulence and also you can turn off a jet engine that way oh yeah yeah
0: dangerous. is that why they frequently do the V formation like we see birds on uh, echelon? And, uh-huh. so that it's like yes,
1: yeah, directly
0: behind your leg. you like
1: you would not fly directly behind each other. That's bad news, yeah, you create yeah, the wake that the plane creates is pretty pretty rough. If you ever if you you know when I was in Austin, there was a golf course right near the airport that was right in front of the landing strip to the airport. And you could, oh you could, yikes! And you could be right under these planes that were landing, and they create this wonderful effect on the edge of their wingtips called wingtip vortices. And it's this air that spins in like a tunnel, and it create and it looks white like a cloud. And you can hear it in the air; it kind of crackles as it moves along. Um, so yeah, they, they create a lot of turbulence, and the faster you go, the more turbulence you're going to create.
0: Did you ever um, get a golf ball caught
2: up in the? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I, I was going to
2: say, I don't think my dad would like that course. That's where I thought it was going. Or he'd I like it any... more because he could blame all his bad shots on the airplanes.
1: I can use any help I can get on my golf game. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> if turbulence does it, that's awesome. Um, you know, there's also, you know, that's why when you get ready to land in a plane, it gets kind of bumpy naturally because the air the closer to the ground is just more turbulent. There's just more crosswinds and air is moving around. So that's why it feels bumpy. And also, mm-hmm. I, I read that um, mount, mountains help create turbulence because the air kind of rushes up along them up into the air at times. So, there's all these sure. things that, that create turbulence and instability of the air.
0: Yeah. I know, having grown up in the mountains, there's definitely a different dynamic of flying into Denver, which is right at the beginning, like flying west from the east into Denver mm-hmm. mm-hmm. is very different than flying east. From the west into Denver because one goes over the mountains and one doesn't have yeah. any mountains. And so there cool. is, yeah, yeah, the way yeah. That, that that impacts climate. And I've mentioned that before in the podcast, but it also would then yeah. impact
2: plains. I've overheard a couple pilots say that you don't want to learn how to fly initially in Denver. You, you want to go somewhere a little further away from the mountains where it's flatter to yeah. learn initially. Because, like, my mom taught me how to drive stick uh, just below the crest of an icy hill. And that was less than ideal. And I figure that learning how to fly a plane right next to the Rockies
1: must be kind of similar. Yeah, that's probably true. You can People can come to Texas or to Arizona.
0: <laughs> I was going to say you probably do want to learn to fly. Maybe not your first couple times out there, but... I was definitely very I mean, eventually when yes. I was learning to drive a car that I learned prim- primarily in the wintertime, and so learned how mm-hmm. to drive with ice and snow and all of that before having to, like, actually drive. Sure. <laughs> and
2: speaking of unusual flying experiences, planes and helicopters and the space shuttle are not the only ways that we've ever tried to fly. Uh, we've probably all seen a few unusual aircraft designs out there. Uh, Mm -hmm. I recently re-watched the Studio Ghibli movie Kiki's Delivery Service uh, and that one features what is basically there's a large propeller that is strapped to a bicycle and the bicycle is strapped underneath a hot air balloon and I think there are some uh, flappy wings on the side and by pedaling the bicycle the front propeller and the flappy wings all uh, do their thing and the hot air balloon helps give them some lift and theoretically speaking you don't die like (laughs) i don't know what kind of parent would let their 13 year old play around with this kind of thing but these you know children don't really seem to be supervised at all as is standard for your usual teenage adventure movie so uh, i was wondering harold if you had any favorite unusual aircraft designs Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. a little less deadly than that one yeah
1: no that's a fascinating one it sounds like a like a one one man band kind of concept. I like that. Yes. Cool. You know, yeah. So anything can be an aircraft. I mean, that, that that's probably the, you can move anything through the air and it'll, it'll have some level of lift and drag. And if you want thrust, you add your thrust and obviously we have weight. So, I mean, you get all those four pieces there. I, I went skydiving a number of years ago, back before I got married. I don't think, I don't think my wife would let me go skydiving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But but that was one of the most exhilarating experiences I, I remember having, and I think the human body is probably one of the most fascinating aircraft designs. Uh, I know you've seen the people in like the squirrel suits, like flying around and things like that. But but just skydiving, you 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 know you don't have any thrust. You know your weight is constant. Um, that's kind of a given. But you can change your shape while you're falling, mm-hmm. and you can you can tell that you're dragging more. Like you can slow yourself down, or you can get very tight together and you can feel yourself speeding up um so i i don't know it's it's kind of nice to to realize that all your kind of the aerodynamic surface and you get to feel it so i I think that's pretty cool
0: so are you telling me all of those times i almost puked when i was on the playground on this like merry-go-rounds or the like individual (laughs) spinning things was actually just training that's right that's right
1: playgrounds are all about training that's right
2: See, my problem with the concept of anything can be an aircraft and any person can be an aircraft is that I also grew up with the line. A good landing is one you can walk away from. A great landing is one where they can reuse the plane.
1: Uh, yeah. So. Oh, that's, I didn't jump by myself. I was a, I was a tandem <laughs> jump there. I had a, that
0: helps. I, had
1: a, I was the co-pilot. He was the pilot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So when I think of aerodynamics and Ascension Day, and we've already like gotten into this a little bit, but I definitely wonder what it would take for Jesus to fly upward. Like we we talked last year about like what would happen to Jesus, particularly Jesus' body if they flew upward, but like what would it take? Would a jetpack work? Are jetpacks real? Will they ever be real? What is your wisdom on this?
1: Oh, wisdom, wisdom, imagination, craziness, yeah. it's all in there. Uh, you know it's like can jesus and take enough helium to like lift himself off the ground i was just thinking about that i i, mm-hmm. I, I don't, there is a um the the british have a they, they call it the jet suit it's it's with their military and maybe, you could probably find it on on youtube if, if you just search jet suit but it's like an iron man suit um, and and the rockets it has like yes. four rockets two rockets on each like hand um which is used to control the thrust and the speed of the thrust and and so you kind of fly around so I, I, Yeah, Jesus must have something kind of like an Iron Man suit, I think, but we just can't see it. Yeah. He's got the more advanced Iron Man suit, like, you know, it's like Iron Man 10, you know, that's that movie.
2: (laughs) So, not just a beanie hat with a propeller on top, probably. (laughs) Can you imagine Tweedledum?
1: That (laughs) that might have been why the disciples were dumbfounded looking up in the air.
0: (laughs) Yes. But Helium would presumably, like, if we, if Jesus were to, like, Take a page out of the movie up, right, mm-hmm. like a whole yeah. bunch of helium balloons that would not go high enough, like eventually those balloons would all pop, they would or... all get,
1: yeah, maybe yeah, they would all get really big and then they would pop <laughs> okay.
2: also, I don't think that Jesus wants his last words to his disciples on this earth to be in a squirrel voice,
1: <laughs> <That's> fair, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh,
2: not Alvin and the chipmunk style, no,
0: I mean. Yeah. okay fair so you said like the british iron man 10 style is there a more aerodynamic like what would be the most aerodynamic way to ascend from earth
1: Mm the most aerodynamic so aerodynamics is all about shape (laughs) what shape jesus would need to put himself in to ascend most easily it'd have to be you know i think it'd have to be like a teardrop shape a a raindrop is one of the most aerodynamic shapes out there and uh, if you look at a wing basically it's a teardrop on its side it's it's largely because on the side because on the front you cut you have a curved section so the wind can the air can go around it and at the end it tapers off to a point because you want as little drag as possible that's that's always the goal you want to decrease your drag and maximize your lift and thrust so so jesus would probably point his toes down in some form or fashion put them together he was like a diver almost you know i was yeah. Well, diving was, up into the air, basically. Yeah,
0: I was thinking of ballet, like Ooh, yeah. would have had to have ballet classes for yeah. being on point, and but diving sure. also works. And now I'm like picturing Jesus doing like <laughs> the real fancy like Olympic, humble yeah. dives, <laughs> but like
1: up. upward. Yeah, but upwards. Sure. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Sure. I like that. I like the, I like the ballet too because I like how they have their hands over their heads in like a circle. I mean, that kind of creates an eardrop shape. I like that. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Side note. I always thought that the aerodynamic part was to have the pointy part be at the front Mm -hmm. to split the air so that then the air went around. But it's not. What I have learned, one of the things, is the round part is at the beginning. But is it, what about like a pointy bump pointy?
1: A pointy, yeah, you can do that. I would say it's more unstable because you're, you're slicing into the air, so you could easily once you once you just tilt down just a little bit, you start going that direction really quick, mm-hmm. or up, and you so you have less. Your controls are so um, out of control, almost out of that point. But like you, but like you mentioned, the point is important. The front of a bird is a point. I mean, it, it, there's an, there's intentionality to that too, to kind of break through that. That's a low point. That's one of the ways they can do lower drag is, or or it's not the lifting body. Try to make it as pointy as possible. So, you know.
0: So that's okay. Now I have another connection. When I was a kid and maybe still as an adult and I'm like riding in a car and not driving and I put my hand out the window. It does. Like every time my finger, like the tips of my fingers go either slightly down or slightly up. It just like the whole hand goes all the way up, or all the way down. And it's really hard to keep it like steady. Which like, exactly I don't right. really ever try to keep it steady. Part of the fun of having your hand out the window is to not keep it steady. But
1: that's, that's a perfect that example. Be... Yep.
0: Okay. Okay. Huh.
1: But computers yeah. are so advanced these days. I mean they've always they've gotten better and better. So there there are more planes that, that, that dabble in that kind of shape because computers can compensate for that much quicker than humans can. So they can create some weird looking planes because of that. Sure.
0: Interesting. Is that Maybe contributing to the abundance of UFOs
1: <laughs> that's right oh, UFOs a, the military seems to have something to say about that right now. I'm not sure what they're what they're getting at. who knows i I do believe that there is life out in space there's just this, there's just too much creation to to think otherwise for me mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but, you know i I think we live in such a big universe with such with distances that are beyond my comprehension that. The civilization can, can rise and disappear in the time it would take for information to travel from there to here. You know, that, that's, um, sure. so things are happening in kind of this bubble aspect, I think. And it's hard to comprehend the infinity aspect of God and creation.
0: Yeah, I think about that. Like I was told at one point that stargazing, especially if you're like looking in a telescope, so looking at the farther away ones is always time travel. You're yeah. always looking sure. at history.
1: Yeah, yeah, you got light coming from different, different age light hitting you all at once. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: sure. Yeah. So there
2: is a TV show that I think is originally from Australia that my husband loves to watch. Uh, the American version is called Mayday, and it's all about airplane crashes. And he keeps telling me about how hopeful and like trust inspiring this show is <laughs> because it goes through the process of figuring out okay exactly how did this crash happen and how can we make sure it doesn't happen again. My problem with that is that, you know, all of these stories are about airplane crashes. <laughs> and so I don't find it especially hopeful or trust inspiring. But he and others uh, and the show keep telling me that flying as a passenger on a commercial flight, at least pre-COVID anyway, uh, is so much safer than driving in a car on a highway. And is is that actually true? And if so, like,
1: why? Ooh. So so first of all, a couple numbers and then a A note about perception, Um, numbers.
2: That's probably
1: fair. So if you look at the the absolute numbers, there are about 5 million car accidents a year and only about 20 flight accidents per year. So if you look at that, you're like, oh, my gosh, cars are way more dangerous. But if you look at it per 100 million miles of distance traveled, it's about 1.3 fatalities and 80 injuries in that 100 million miles. And it's negligible with flying because planes obviously fly much further than we travel on a daily basis. Mm. Sure. So when planes crash, it's oftentimes a lot of people who die and that makes mm-hmm. big news. And when a car crashes, it happens every day and it happens so often that it does not make the news. So so statistically driving about you know the odds of you dying in a car crash is about 1 in 98. The odds of dying in a airplane crashes is about 1 in 7178 wow and the reason the perception comment is that driving affords us more personal control so we feel safer what do you think of that well because we're in control it's more safer but there's so many more variables that play because everybody's in control of their car at that point right where when you're in a plane there's fewer people in control. Um, and so you, I mean, not everybody on the plane is flying the plane. So. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I have to say, I also think that there's a certain element of there are a lot more controls on who's allowed to fly a plane yeah. versus who's allowed to drive. Because you were saying, you know, we feel like we have more control, so we feel safer. Well, sometimes. I mean, I've driven in ground blizzards in Minnesota when I am absolutely convinced I'm about to die, even <laughs> though the weather isn't actually all that bad. It's just I can't see anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have to say that sometimes it's a lot easier to trust a professional pilot who has been doing this for a while, or at least I hope so, than it is to trust myself in unfortunate situations. Yeah. Mm hmm.
0: Which is fascinating because I was reading, so my friend Stephanie has a zine that she does. And one of the things she was talking about in, not the most recent volume, but the one before, was the idea of public transit and automated cars. And that, like, the more personal responsibility a person has while driving a car the more clear personal responsibility a person has while driving a car, the more, the safer they will be. And the more automated things get, so the more it like, eliminates that personal responsibility, the less safe it is, except to the extent that like if everything is automated, then that's a whole other level of safety. And she doesn't like driving cars, so this is part of her, like, I don't like driving cars thing.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But it's fascinating to then think about that as, like, our perception is the more in control we are, the safer we are. And to an extent that is true. Correct. Sure. But to another extent it is Mm -hmm. completely untrue.
2: Although it also depends on who's doing the automating, because I think we've all probably seen that short video of a Tesla driving into a small aircraft recently uh, because someone was trying to get their car to come to them and it took a path that was less than ideal. Yeah.
1: So, and that's how Boeing got in trouble too, is the automation systems were not working the way they should. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So mm-hmm.
0: caution in automation.
1: That's right, caution in automation.
0: Yeah. Is there anything else we need to know about aerodynamics to mm-hmm. have a greater appreciation for Jesus' ascension?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Perhaps one of the like questions might be, how far do you think Jesus ascended before Jesus was like, okay, I'm done now?
1: So, so okay. This is my. I'm also a big sci-fi person, and I, I love all the sci-fi stuff. I'm not like a Star Wars over Star Trek kind of guy. I like them all. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm one of those folks. I, I, I'm really, I'm really fascinated with the Doctor Strange multiverse kind of thing. Ooh. So I feel like part of Jesus's ascension is slipping into this aspect of reality that we can't see, uh, but it's still there and still present. So, so I feel like it's not a distance thing. It's a dimensional thing. Yeah. I don't know. Sure. That's, that's as dimly as I can see through the mirror.
2: <laughs> Come to think of it, I guess Jesus ascension was partly to meet us where we were. Cause like we all may intellectually know that heaven is mm-hmm. not actually above us, especially since earth, you know, above technically is in all directions, mm-hmm. but you know, perfectly well, that if he had descended into the ground, the disciples would have thought he was going somewhere very, very different. <laughs> That's and true. so he yeah. probably ascended in order to give them the right you know impression right?
1: he, he knew the context clues of, yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it yeah. so as we dive into our readings or dive up to our readings
1: good one i, I like
0: it <laughs> i try our first reading is from acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 at the beginning of the book of acts The author reminds Theophilus of the events in the Gospel of Luke and tells the story of Jesus' ascension into heaven after the resurrection. So, one of the things that came out for me was the ways that this passage is like pretty, is dealing with like unclear prophetic interpretations, right? Like, all of the things that you have ever heard are coming true, and also in this particular way that like fits our narrative really, really well. and it reminded me of Battlestar Galactica that like once they had taken off and they're like looking for this prophesied earth and then it's like okay is this the earth that we're talking about or is this the time that the president is supposed to inevitably die and not make it to earth with us and then what about the cylon blood that like helps her live and like just raising the like questions of how tied are we to an interpretation of what was predicted to like make the reality fit that versus letting the reality become what it will become to borrow a phrase from process theology and then seeing how it plays out in in those interpretations but my question for
2: oh i'm trying to make a another connection there because that's also reminding me of the the ancient Greek play about the guy who was prophesied to kill his father and marry his mother and desperately tried to not do Oedipus, Yeah. Desperately tried to not do that. And then of course it did happen after all, Mm -hmm. not exactly what you were going for, but
0: no, but it kind of, yeah. Well, and there's like the way that Dr. Who deals with time and particularly for Amy Pond and Rory Pond that like ultimately they're, Ending is because they see their names written on the tombstones, and if they hadn't seen it it wouldn't have happened, but because they saw it right it became fact
1: it's a paradox huh? yeah, mm-hmm. sure.
0: yeah. You know, It's like so, interesting things. with
1: that like the yeah like what came first the chicken or the egg <laughs> I, sure. I, I feel like there's a there is a cycle to to this story too with this ascension I mean it, you start thinking of Elijah or like old Testament characters that you know didn't die they you know they just went to god and 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 then the world didn't seem to change at all again you know and so are we in this cycle of of this in a in a new way yeah
2: sure yeah and come to think of it when when you read the description of elijah's ascension into heaven it really does kind of sound like he was sucked up into heaven like it that was not something he had control over
1: <laughs> that's true that is true
2: and uh that reminds me of your description of lift the Mm. Uh, lack of pressure is pulling you upwards uh, whereas Jesus sounds like he has a little more control over what's going on and is a little bit more like
0: okay so Elijah is more like a helicopter <laughs> but not in control of his own propellers and Jesus is more like the space shuttle
1: <laughs> Pushing That's right. so
0: now it's Elijah wearing the beanie hat with the little propeller on top <laughs> That's right. okay, sure.
1: the hand on
2: yes So when we reach verse three, we read, after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. And my question about this is, how do you prove to someone that you're alive? I guess there's an element of proving to someone you're not a vampire that would be separate, but they didn't actually have vampire lore back then. So that might have helped. That we know of. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I suppose. But Jesus ate bread and fish with the disciples, uh, as we see (laughs) elsewhere, uh, and he let the disciples poke him at least a couple of times, I guess. (laughs) The one before Thomas was there and then the one when Thomas was there. And so I suppose he also had the Monty Python route open to him of yelling, I'm not dead yet. I'm feeling better. Uh, That might have worked probably, you know, in Aramaic.
0: Only a flesh wound. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Those would all be ways of proving,
2: <laughs> but you know the biblical authors were very big on everyone maintaining their dignity, except for Peter, and <laughs> so I suppose they wouldn't have included that part.
1: It's interesting that they use the word "presented" in the translation instead. Mm-hmm. Um, he just, just showed up. Is like, he presented himself like
0: <laughs> for inspection? Right. Yeah, it... <laughs> I was picturing like a PowerPoint presentation. Like <laughs> <laughs> here are all of the bullet points of why I am alive uh-huh. and with you now.
2: So that's why Jesus came back then and not now, because he didn't want to have to make the PowerPoint presentation. That makes perfect (laughs) sense. I am completely on board with that.
0: Mm. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic.
2: I think my hatred of PowerPoint is getting a little legendary, but I'll
0: I love PowerPoints. I was the kid in like middle school where I made PowerPoints and every slide was a different theme and a different color and everyone had a, tra- every single piece had transitions and sounds and animation. I was
1: that. Well, that needs to be a transition in PowerPoint, just ascension. You know?
0: <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. And in verse 10, we read, While Jesus was going and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two people in white robes stood by them. And I also co-host the Horror Nerds at Church podcast, as our listeners by now hopefully know. So as I was, like, reading this, I was picturing this filmed. And right now we're doing a combination of, like, the Twilight movies and other vampire stuff for Horror Nerds at Church. And so I was thinking of, like, the filming of this would be definitely, like, zooming in on the Disciples as they're like looking up and then zooming out and all of a sudden the other two people are there so it's a little bit like when the creepy psychic zombie shows up in what we do in the shadows or like other things which like spoilers for horror nerds at church patreon subscribers on our boo tube but that like zooming in and then zooming out they do it with like people disappearing in twilight but like also the appearance, sure. and then it's just like, oh, you startled us into like, how how Colin did you show up in this house, in this way, and nobody heard you coming? They just like appear.
1: Yeah. So there's that gazing up towards heaven in that verse ten, and then they stood looking up toward heaven in verse eleven. I, I have this image in my head like like that first one. I mean, I kind of I kind of geek out and greeking out sometimes i enjoy Mm -hmm. that and the the word that's used for that first one that gazing up has a definition of looking up steadfastly like you're just like dumbstruck i mean i just kind of see them Mm -hmm. open like what Mm -hmm. and then the second one after they've it's happened and then the they're getting talked to why do you stand looking up those people robed in white they're using a word that is more about considering something so they're like contemplating it's like they go from their mouth wide open to like their hands on their chin you know just looking up like ah oh, i wonder about that now you know, it's it's an interesting clay on those words i think
2: yeah that... they might have been staring upwards for quite a while Yeah, <laughs> to make that transition yeah, that's
1: true. Yeah. yeah yeah you know and also my uh so I, i'm i'm i really love astronomy as well like i i am i'm one of the most amateur astronomers that you could probably find so i I I just do my best to start looking for things and find things sometimes and and enjoy that. It's just, it's just fun. But, but one thing that I've, I've learned, especially here in central Texas is that um, one of our heritages, one of our gifts that we have around here is dark skies.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: most people in the world have never seen the Milky way. And there's something about, I feel like our world today has, doesn't look up enough. You know, it's kind of flipping this on its head a little bit. Like um, we're, you know, I, I love my technology. I love my, f- I mean, I couldn't probably function without my phone or my laptop, but i it does keep me looking down a lot, you know? And um, yeah. so I feel like the way I feel with that, with the technology today is kind of how they're responding to them looking up. It's like, why are you focused on that? You know, mm. maybe you need to look out or look in the upper direction. Before, I mean, yeah. so I was just thinking about that with kind of the dark skies and the stars these days and how we, yeah. lighting has been a blessing and a curse at the same time.
0: Yep, I grew up in Colorado, and so there, you can definitely see the Milky Way from where I live in, lived in the mountains. Not nearly as well as you can in an actual, like, dark sky spot, but that has contributed to, like, the Milky Way in Vail, where I grew up, is, like, grayish. Right, like there's just so many lights that it's a light. So many stars, and you can see all the stars. You can't see the like really cool pictures that people take of Milky Ways, where there's like you can see the gases and all of that stuff. I always love that, and that's like I've lived in Mm -hmm. cities, and there's a a thing about cities that is that really works for me. And the lack of dark skies is not (laughs) is not an aspect (laughs) of cities that I yeah Mm -hmm. resonate with because it's just you miss so much you right. can't look right. at those awe-inspiring things as well sure
2: our second reading for this episode is from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23 the author gives thanks for the people of Ephesus and prays that all might have the wisdom to understand Christ's ultimate sovereignty over the universe I have no memory of writing that at all
1: but sure.
2: <laughs> sometimes
0: I remember when I wrote these and, and why I made certain decisions and this You're
1: getting really an inspired now. moment Katie. <laughs>
0: So one of the themes of this is the idea of power, right? Okay, you wrote it as Christ's ultimate sovereignty, but there are different, like, types of power and ways we use power. So I was thinking about that, and, like, this is clearly not intended to be the power a la the ring of power in Lord of the Rings, right? Like, it is not the power that corrupts completely. But then it, like, another way of doing power, right, is, like, the power of vibranium in the Black Panther movies. And that's, like, a power that, by and large, is used to help and support people. And also, it's, like, kept within the community. Like, it's, there's a limit to how much they're willing to do the power. And so, like, there's, that's still not quite the power that we're talking about. But then the flip side of that is Encanto, And the power of the gifts of the madrigal family and that power is not just like for the community for the family but for like everybody in the community except it's to the extent that then there's major burnout for everyone in the family so i feel like the power we're talking about is somewhere in between where it is for everyone and also not intended to be burning out jesus who is not you know an actual star that burns out but if jesus is ascending maybe that's like just becomes a comet maybe that's our next ascension day (laughs) (laughs) i I was
2: gonna say i don't remember writing the summary but i have to imagine that i probably struggled over what word to use to make that last part not sound creepy (laughs) because power language is so loaded especially these days that it's Mm -hmm. hard to find words to talk about like we have said before in this podcast, there are some things that you can only say about God because it's God you're talking about. And if you said it about a person, it would sound horrific. Mm. And the, this kind of ultimate power is part of that too.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, when you mentioned the the universe, Katie, in your, in your comment, I, I'm always drawn back to He-Man, you know, he's, he's like, I got the power of grace. Well, he's like, I have the power. Uh, but, <laughs> but, it's, but it's like that, what you just said about God, it's like when you put that kind of power in even if it's a cartoon human context. I mean, it's just ridiculous, you know. Yeah. But but with God, it it carries some brevity and and deepness that that there, it's worth dwelling on.
2: Yeah, God is really the only one I'm comfortable having that kind of power. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And that's one of the critiques for a lot of people of Christianity is how can you be okay with an entity having that kind of power? Um, sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of, one of my Favorite authors is Brene Brown, um, and she talks about vulnerability being like our superpower, mm, sure. and and we see that in scripture and, and and how Christ interacts with other people and his healings and forgiving and it just yeah I, it, I, yeah I think she's really tapping into something that we need to hear mm-hmm. about our understanding of what power really is yeah yeah
0: and that's a that's a whole other understanding of power right like it's not power over right. it's power with it's the power of vulnerability is the invitation into intimate relationship the invitation into transformation and that makes a lot more sense when it comes to like god having the ultimate power as the ultimate vulnerability of becoming human of giving up the power in order mm-hmm. to be in relation in right relationship yeah and then as we dive into the readings in verse 17 we read I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know them. And I have been working my way through the Buffy and Angel series, and so I was like, oh, this, the spirit of revelation, that's Drusilla, obviously. She has, like, premonitions of things. An so- Angel, Cordelia also does. But wisdom, not so much. I'm not actually sure... No. Who, if anybody, in the Buffy and Angel universes has the spirit of wisdom? I'm trying to think of
2: a context where I could go up to someone and say, I'm praying that God gives you a spirit of wisdom, and they wouldn't take it as an insult. (laughs) Like, outside of the confirmation ceremony. Yeah. But... Because like, let me tell you, I pray that for a lot of people on a regular basis, but I don't tell them that. Are you saying, you're, I'm <laughs> praying
1: for you to not be dumb? Or is that, is that what you're saying? Or like, I, you well,
2: I, like, how do you how do you say, I, I hope that God gives you a spirit of wisdom and it doesn't come out sounding oh. like you, you really need it so badly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you don't have it yet. <laughs> and, like, I do think that Giles could be construed as having a spirit of wisdom, but also, like, sometimes there are things that he totally misses. Yeah. Like I'm in the glory part where like Glorificus, the like god, is here to like destroy Buffy or whatever and they completely miss her coming in and buying things specifically for complete and utter destruction and then leaving. And it's not till way later that they're like, Oh, this is what was going on. So like the wisdom a little different.
2: I've only seen like a, a one and a half seasons of Buffy. And so my knowledge of Giles is a little fuzzy, but if I remember right, he's not always that great with people. And I've always considered that a part of wisdom. Like you have to understand how people work in order to really be wise, because otherwise you're not going to get how a lot of
1: things in the world work. One other comment on power to that first 20, where God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Like the power mm-hmm. is to raise people from the dead and to put them in places of honor. Um, like, so like, how can sure. we ask that question of like our church budgets, our family budgets, our, you know, mm-hmm. like whatever we do, sure. like how, how is this raising people from the dead? You know, how is this placing people in places of honor? Um, that's the power, I, I think, that we've been given um, yeah. in the resurrection. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: and, yeah. W- and what does not literal death, not the literal, like, we are creating zombies and vampires and stuff. We'll leave that yeah, to no. horror to church. But, like, the deaths of economic despair and the deaths of, mm. you know, living poverty. in a world, right, of poverty, of climate disasters, all of that stuff. Like, how, yeah. Yeah
2: that makes me think of the immediate example that came to mind was there are a few institutions out there that are working on reparations mm-hmm. uh, for those who were enslaved and for those particularly who mm-hmm. uh, were enslaved by their institutions in the past. Mm-hmm. And I think Princeton is one of them. And that seems like a way to... You're not going to bring the people back from the dead, but you can bring life out of that death. Yeah.
0: I think the Episcopal Church also is doing is working yeah, on reparations. Yeah, they're starting and... to work on that the ELCA non-denominational frame. Like, people not quite in the center of the ELCA are working on that with, like, the 66... Yeah, outside of the power structure. ...synod, and, yeah. But it's interesting to see who, like, where the, pow, the traditional power structures are mm-hmm. doing that work and where they are not. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Well, and
2: speaking of bias and stigma, uh, in verse 20, we read, And God seated Jesus at God's right hand in the heavenly places, and... Being put on someone's right hand uh, in the ancient world and even up until much more recently was a idiom for saying that they were a trusted lieutenant or even your second in command. But uh, as one of my grandpa's was left-handed, not the one that was an engineer. uh, uh, This is also a reminder to me of the bias and stigma against left-handed people through history. Uh, Mm -hmm. My great-grandmother actually tried to train my grandpa out of being Mm -hmm. left-handed. It did not take. No one who knew my grandpa would be surprised by that. <laughs> and then when my cousin was born, uh, and we realized that she was left-handed, uh, Grandpa had a few words to say to my aunt, her mom, about the importance of not trying to train her out of being left-handed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we can link in our episode description to an article that does a decent summary of uh, some of the very strange things that people believed and tried to do about people who were left-handed. Mm-hmm. And it seems so bizarrely random to us these days of a prejudice to have but I have to say we've had like even weirder ones (laughs) and
0: the ones that we have now will probably seem the same way in 200 years so Mm -hmm. yeah my dad was left-handed and nobody tried to train it out of him and because the world is set up for right-handed people in many ways he was ambidextrous and there are certain things that like then I got where like I was more likely to practice with my left hand, so then when it came to learning Hebrew right after my Spanish class, I learned Hebrew left-handed, and I did Spanish right-handed, and it actually worked better with how the languages are constructed to have those differences, but yeah.
1: That's pretty neat, Emily. My my stories are kind of like that, too. I learned to write with my right hand, because that's what the school taught everybody to write with but I learned to throw with my left hand because my mom taught me how to throw when she was left-handed. So I, I remember as a kid trying to, I wasn't that good at sports either. <laughs> I wasn't good at a lot of things with the kids, but I remember, I remember trying to play baseball and trying to find a right-handed glove. Like, oh my, there was no right-handed gloves in like all of the area I lived in, except for like finally found one and it was like the worst looking glove ever. Um, but yeah. You... Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, indeed. And there's like a gift in the left-handedness in throwing and hitting and all of those things. Like sports left-handed, you have an advantage because...
1: Yeah,
0: you do. Mm -hmm. Nobody is that way. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And our gospel reading for this episode is Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. Jesus opens the disciples' minds to understand the scriptures and then is taken up into heaven while giving them a blessing and promising the near arrival of the Holy Spirit. So one of the themes in this passage was, like, as I was looking at the passage as a whole, and Jesus is, like, opening the disciples' minds, it really read to me, particularly because it's at the end of the gospel, as, like, a Doctor Who episode. So, like, at the end of the episode of Doctor Who, like, we've been following and confused and not understanding how everything fits together, and then the Doctor is, like takes that time that moment and they don't always do it but like to go back and explain oh when this was happening this was this thing and this was that thing and this was that thing and this is how it all fits together see perfect sure and i feel like jesus does that in this (laughs) see perfect like the end of a mystery yeah yeah
1: this is like his final powerpoint basically
2: (laughs) (laughs) yes yes and then in verse 50 we read then jesus led them out as far as bethany so we're pretty sure that Luke and Acts were written by the same person, mm-hmm. but I really like that the Luke account tells us that Jesus went back to Bethany before he ascended, uh, and because the most notable thing about Bethany for Jesus was that that's where his friends uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. Mm-hmm. And we see again and again, in, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, that even God, needs friends. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of media options that give this kind of messaging, uh, but I have to say one of my favorite uh, ones that p- actually pulled it off in a sincere manner uh, is uh, that of My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Uh, it's not quite the same message of the importance of friendship uh, as that show tried to make, but it's it's pretty close. Mm. But I don't think Jesus could have done it without his friends.
0: Agreed. Agreed. hmm that ends up being, like, the subtle message, I think, in most shows. If nothing else, then simply because a cast of one <laughs> is not going to get yeah. nearly as many, as many viewers as a cast of many. where you can. Which, oddly enough, is why we
2: have two people hosting this podcast. <laughs> because a conversation is always so much better than a monologue. Truth. Truth.
0: Mm-hmm. And in the next verse, we read, While Jesus was blessing them... Jesus withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And I, before, you know, imagining, like, a hot air balloon or a jetpack Iron Man stuff, or, like, Iron Man, I, it really felt like Operation Dumbo Drop, which, like, I never actually saw the movie, but I love elephants, and so I remember very vividly the trailers for the movie, and they, like, are moving the elephants, and they, like, get them in a cargo net, in a like in a box in a carbonette kind of like or whatever like but and then plop them down
2: but now you've also given us yet another way that jesus could have ascended not operation dumbo drop style but rather dumbo style with the flapping ears right
1: (laughs) yeah we're not told what his ears are it looked like yeah Yeah. like
2: he could have had giant ears you never know it's true it's true it's true
1: you know, this also proves that God can multitask. So He, while, while He was blessing them, He withdrew. So there's this He can do two things at once, kind of a thing yes. here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. God can balance out the lift and the gravity, the thrust yes. and the drag, all uh. at once. Better than a computer.
1: Oh, you tied it yes. together, nice.
0: I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm much better at tying things together than transitioning as. <laughs> Many listeners know. You're, you're getting better at it. Yeah, but I'm still going to buy the shirt that says, To NB to Transition, so. Yes. Available on the merch store at bit.ly slash nerds at church merch. Yes. And now for our newest segment of the podcast, let's make a
2: Muppets musical where we talk about the passages that we've uh, just talked about and see if we can cast any Muppets or token humans in those passages. And I have to say the first thing that comes to mind as we're talking about two different accounts of the Ascension for me is not so much who you would cast, but rather the setting you would put that in. And I am immediately drawn back to the, the original Muppets show uh, back in the seventies was set in this classic old theater with these really fantastic uh, theater boxes and balconies. And uh, I'm now imagining Jesus ascending, not like in a plain open field, but rather in the theater uh, from one balcony to the next. Uh, and I I really kind of like that image. I, I think that would be very snazzy. So,
1: hmm. I actually did think of a character. I, I mean, I, animal, animal to me just kind of fit the image of the disciples looking up. I mean, just... <laughs> His mouth is wide open, like, ah. Yes. You like, know, that, like, that, ah. That, that's kind of what I pictured. So he would get a leading role in this musical.
2: Yes. The drumsticks <laughs> hanging limply from his fingers <laughs> in sheer of amazement.
0: I like that. Uh, okay, I'm going to have to, like, dig deeper into Miss Piggy because I have a lot of, like, biases <laughs> about Miss Piggy. Oh. And because of those biases, I actually think she would be great at the, like, mysterious people slash angels in White, who are like, um, what are you doing? Why are you looking up? What are you do-? like having her be that particular
1: like? But she would have popped them upside the head. That's kind of how Miss Piggy does it, yes. you know. You know.
0: <laughs> karate
2: chop to the knees karate chop sure them. <laughs> making sure you're paying attention. I also have to say, I as much as I do love Miss Piggy, I think she would greatly enjoy being a direct messenger from God, right? right? And like telling people that.
0: Yeah, like it's not all. <laughs> Bad, as, I guess, like, I have particular biases, but also, like, it fits really well with Messenger yes. of God. I think she would be great at it. I think she would love it. So, Harold, any other thoughts on life, the universe, and everything?
1: So, um, as we talk about ascension and, and think, looking looking up, one of the things that's happening this next year in 2023 and then in 2024 are some pretty big cosmic things happening. We have a annular solar eclipse this next year um, in October, October 14th, and it's, it's where the moon covers the sun, but it doesn't cover it fully. It's in a part of its orbit where it won't cover it fully, but it'll be fully over the sun, so it'll get pretty dark. And then 2024 is something I invite everybody to find a way to get in the path of this is it's a total solar eclipse. And I think it's about six minutes long and -hmm. it's where the moon totally covers the sun. And I've seen one of these before in 2017, I I drove up Mm -hmm. to Nebraska to get in the path of it. And it was quite amazing how when the moon finally got in front of the sun, the like the whole world changed and the Corona just kind of started glowing and it Mm -hmm. shot out. So, um, I mean, I kind of see some of those kind of kind of images when I think of ascension. So if you go to GreatAmericanEclipse.com, you can get all the info you need to find where you can be to see these things.
0: Awesome. I also saw it, but I was like just a little bit too far, so it wasn't complete. But I like drove south to see it, and it got dark. Like it was decidedly twilight, not the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was yeah. really cool. I definitely would like to be more intentional about planning and going somewhere to see
1: it. Yeah. You forward. can order your uh you can order your glasses off their website now so that you don't get any definitely. cheap ones or bad ones online so you don't lose your eyesight in 2 years. So, yeah. Order them
0: now. Also good. Never look at yeah. directly at a solar eclipse, but you can look directly at Jesus cuz Jesus is not bright white.
2: Uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. He's not bright white. Sadly, I should have been directly in the path of the eclipse in 2017. But you know, that day started out beautiful, sunny, got, clear skies, clouds, and we yeah. had overcast skies just perfectly long enough to block the eclipse. Yep. It did actually get a little darker, I think, uh, when the eclipse should have been happening, but we couldn't yeah, see anything. I think it that was, was
0: part of my struggle, too. Terrible time. Was you do
1: roll the dice with the weather for sure. Yeah. What's so cool yeah. about this one, it, for, for me, is I live in Marble Falls in Central Texas, and this is exactly where those two eclipses intersect, so we get to be, like, Ooh. in the spot. Oh, nice. Both of them, which is this is super cool. So what um, I'm
0: hearing is we're going to come and visit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> come to Texas. Doors are open.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Thanks for joining us, Harold. Uh, we're so glad that you were able to be with us today. Uh, and... Thank you for joining us, all our listeners. Uh, Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdy connections to the scripture readings for the seventh Sunday of Easter. This podcast has been produced by us, Kay Roloff and Emily Ewing. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church, or contact us at nerdsatchurch at at gmail.com.
0: Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcast. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerds at church. It's probably cheaper than a pair of those fancy eclipse glasses.
2: <laughs> also, let us know on Facebook or Twitter who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets Musical for this episode. As the ancient Christian said, Pox vobiscum.